following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Elizabeth Elliot, thinking of the music ministry, I was reminded, Elizabeth Elliot, if you're familiar with Jim Elliot, this would have been his wife, and she was telling a story of her on her brother, and her uh, mother had uh, let him play with certain things, and uh, the children, you are dismissed now, you are dismissed. They're looking at me, yeah, you can go, you can go. But Elizabeth Elliot was uh, telling a story on her brother, and uh, her mom had let him play with some paper bags and things that he uh, he wanted to play with of hers. And she said, "As long as you clean up after yourself, you're you're welcome to play." Well, she comes home and there's a big mess in the kitchen floor of paper bags and and things. And so she hears the piano playing, and so she goes off and uh, she wanted to find out what was going on. And so she went in. To, and saw her husband sitting at the piano playing, and uh, her brother Thomas, Elizabeth's brother Thomas, was sitting there at the piano, and he was singing with Dad. And she asked him, she says, why didn't you clean up your mess? He said, Mama, I wanted to sing songs about God. You know, it's kind of as a parent, you know, how are you going to get onto that, yeah? And his dad looked at him and said, Son, it's no good singing God's praise with a disobedient heart. I wonder how many times we come and we sing the praises of our Lord and Savior with disobedience in our heart. Well, this morning we're going to take a look at a man who was disobedient. If you'll open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter number 1, we'll begin our study. And the book of Jonah is an incredible book. It's a, it's a phenomenal book if we would just take the moment and take the time to look into it and uh, the nature of God is present in this book in a way that is uh, undeniable. Now I want to make this statement at the very onset before we get into our study of Jonah uh, that the book of Jonah is not about Jonah nor is the book of Jonah about a whale. The book of Jonah as it is with the rest of Scripture, is about God. It's about the grace of God and the mercy of God. It's not about uh, what happened in uh, uh, the life of this individual as much as it is what God was able to do through this individual and in the lives of the people of Nineveh. This is an amazing thing if we would just remind ourselves, and throughout the whole study that we're going to be uh, looking at the uh, life of Jonah here and what took place uh, in his ministry, if you, if you look at it really closely, 
uh, with that in mind, with the idea that this is about God, not Jonah, nothing else really kind of matters, and everything just kind of falls into place. So it's important that we understand that right at the very beginning. We'll catch a very clear view of the sovereignty of God uh, throughout this account. And uh, Jonah is possibly one of the greatest examples of the sovereignty and election of God on man. Now, before you all think that I have just changed doctrines, I have not. Understand what I'm saying with this. Uh, The doctrine of election and predestination are found in Scripture, and we dare not skirt predestination and election. Many times people get themselves in a tizzy, and we become... Uh, we're so afraid of, of uh, embracing uh, certain teaching that we completely jump away from that teaching and ignore the parts of Scripture that bring these things into play. My friends, can I let you know something? That Jonah was chosen, elected by God for a task. And this does not mean that no one else is elect. And and certain people were picked by God for salvation and other people were not picked by God for salvation. Jonah was chosen and elect by God to go tell those who were pagans about the one true God. And you want to know what your election is? If you are born again by the Spirit of God, you, my friend, are elect, called by God to tell others about God. That's what election really is. You have been predestined because of the foreknowledge of God to go tell others. This has nothing to do with God picking and choosing who will and who will not be saved. That's not what we're looking at. And Jonah is a beautiful picture of this. And so as we go through this, we we really want to kind of zero in on this. Jonah is one that God allowed to run. And so through this, we're also going to see the free will of man. God allowed him to run, and then finally he did intervene and impede his progress, called him a second time, sent a storm and a whale, and accomplished his will in a spirit that was rebellious. If that's not a sovereign God, I don't know what is. I had one individual ask me one time, said, do you you not think that by giving man a choice, that kind of challenges the sovereignty of God? And I said, well, maybe for your God, but my God is able to remain his sovereignty and still give me a choice. This is where we see the beauty of, of the whole thing coming together and and making a beautiful picture. Uh, The book of Jonah is the closest Old Testament book, probably, to some of the teachings of the New Testament. Its theme seems to be God's desire to save all people without regard to race or nationality, and he expects us to share this knowledge with those who are even enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, let's take a look into the passage at hand, and I'm going to go ahead and warn you. You can stand for the reading of the Word of God, if you would, please. I'm going to go ahead and warn you. Everything that I've got here could quickly become a two- or three-hour sermon. 
So next, if I go that route, there will be two of you here next week. But I'm splitting it up, okay? I, I wanted the best that I could to make this, and it, it really is going to be one sermon, but it's going to be split up between two weeks, so don't worry. My former pastor told me one time, I said, son, the mind can only absorb what the backside can endure. So let's take a look. Jonah, chapter number one, and we'll just read the first three verses. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Father, I'm asking that you would bless your word to our hearts and that, Father, you would do what only you can. And that is that what we are not, you would make us. What we know not, you would teach us. And what we have not, you would give us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Looking at just a couple things here. Uh, the first I would like to try to pull out of this passage is the situation. This is just kind of an overview, and I've heard many people really give Jonah a hard time, and, and uh, if you've been in church any amount of time at all, you've probably heard him given a hard time. Maybe you've given him a hard time yourself. Uh, here's Jonah. He's called by God uh, to, uh, to go off somewhere, and he's uh, uh, wanted to bring the message of him, and a message of repentance. And so, this book is, is one of those that's just a, an amazing thing that we can very quickly lose sight of the trees for the forest or the forest for the trees, however you want to say that. Before we get really critical with Jonah, we need to understand the whole situation because Jonah can really get the raspberry sometimes. This book has seen its share of criticism. Brother Jeff made mention earlier, and I'm so thankful that he did, some have questioned the historicity of this book because of the miraculous events cited. You know, I think from time to time, God winks at us. Have you ever, you ever noticed that, that every once in a while, God just says, here, I'll throw you a bone. Did you know that back in 2021, just last year, a man was, uh, was uh, uh, lobster diving, um, and uh, as he went down, he said before he knew it, uh, everything was just fine and dandy, and then all of a sudden this darkness came upon him and he was swallowed by a whale. Look it up. And he said at first he thought he was uh, swallowed in by a great white shark or something, and he said, but I didn't feel any teeth. I started to feel pressure, and it felt like muscles. And he said, what I realized was I was actually in the mouth of a whale. So I started to move around and squirm. The whale didn't like that and started to shake his head. He said, I realized that since the whale didn't like that, I was going to do it some more. And his, uh, uh, his boatmate, his shipmate, saw the whale come up on the surface, start to make a lot of commotion on the surface, and spit him back out. 2021, look it up, documented. Well, that could never happen. <laughs> God just winks. 
He was like, uh, yeah, here you go. Sorry, buddy. But it's going to be a fun story to tell. The book has seen its share of criticism. Some refer to it as myth. Others refer to it as allegory of Israel and then their coming exile. Uh, Good reasons, though, to accept this as a historical narrative. First, Jonah is an actual figure from history. He's an actual historical figure who prophesied at the time of Jeroboam II. In uh, uh, 2 Kings 14.25, he says he restored, talking about Jeroboam II, he restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Lebo Hamath uh, to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. Now, it's an interesting thing to me that he would actually cite Jonah, the son of Amittai, and then over at the beginning of Jonah, the book of Jonah, it says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai. This is not a, 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 a folk story. This is not a myth story. It's a historical documentation of something that actually happened. And again, Brother Jeff read just a little bit ago from the book of Matthew. Let's show you another one in the book of Luke. If you want to flip over to Luke, chapter number 11. Because Jesus spoke of Jonah and the repentance of Nineveh as factual. He doesn't just mention Jonah. He mentions Nineveh itself and the actual factual uh, uh, thing that took place here. You look at, at Luke chapter number 11, verse 29. Drop to verse 29 with me. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was a, a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn it. For she came from the uttermost part uh, of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. I'm sorry, my friend, there really is no good reason to accept the book of Jonah as fable. There's not, it's truth. Now, the interesting thing here is Jonah really, uh, it's, it's included in the prophetic books and probably included in the prophetic books uh, uh, mainly because of its, uh, uh, the title being Jonah. He was a prophet, uh, maybe because uh, he went to uh, prophesy to Nineveh. Um, but there's very little prophetic utterance found in the book of Jonah, as you find in the rest of the minor prophets and major prophets. And so I, I think one of the nice things with the book of Jonah is also its form is very straightforward, contains absolutely no indication, no allegorical language is used in the book of Jonah to indicate that any of this would not be true. But at the end of the day, the interesting thing that always strikes me is those who would say that Jonah is just myth have no problem believing that God can do other miraculous things. My friend, if Jesus is able to walk on water, raise the dead to life, 
Uh, it calls the blind to see, the lame to walk. If God is able to speak the worlds into existence, to carve out the, uh, the stars, the moon with his very fingertips or just the spoken word, I have no problem believing that he can cause a man to get swallowed up by a whale. Now, we went, some people like to argue, was it a big fish or was it a whale? I don't care. He was swallowed by something that swam and was in the water. Anything else needed? I don't think so. So when God is involved, the miraculous is not out of the ordinary. A man swallowed is no impossibility for the one who creates out of nothing. So could God have made a special fish just for this? Sure. But apparently, God wanted to make sure we knew it was possible, and he let it happen last year. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, again, before we get overly critical with Jonah, let's look at just a couple other things here. Um, Nineveh was no real vacation spot. Let's understand the call of, of God on Jonah's life. Go back with me, if you would, to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. That great city. Now, it's, it's an interesting thing that while Jonah refers to, or God refers to uh, it here as that great city, he's not talking about how it's a wonderful city. He's talking about it being large and being uh, monumental. It would be a tantamount to saying uh, New York is a great city. It is huge. If you've ever been, never been in New York, you have no idea. When you start walking through downtown New York, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's mind-blowing. And so uh, the, the great city, uh, Nahum actually refers to it as that evil city. We'll look at that more when we get into that, um, that study. Nahum prophesied against uh, uh, Nineveh, calling it the bloody city. And it's important to note here um, uh, that Laird, uh, also refers to, in his book, Nineveh and Babylon, says, the annals of Assyria are nothing but a register of military campaigns, spoilations or plunderings, and cruelties. Nothing but military campaigns, plundering, and cruelties. Ethan Spaniards, it's important for us to understand just how uh, evil and wicked these people were. Ethan Spanier, uh, a University of Massachusetts uh, professor, in his uh, work called The Grizzly Assyrian Record of Torture and Death, uh, gives a rather detailed understanding of what these people were like. Now, he quotes their kings, and you can find this yourself. You can research this yourself. But he's quoting from their kings who boasted of filleting people alive, uh, putting people on spikes, and uh, decapitating, uh, gouging eyes out, cutting off noses, ears, and tongues, and burning alive both men, women, and children. If you've, if you've done any research or you've seen any research into Vlad the Impaler, which is what we get our modern-day understanding of Dracula, if you've done any research into him, you will know that one of his favorite things was to impale people with a stake and then erect them on that wooden stake. He learned that from studying the Assyrians. They would rip people's flesh off and hang it where it could be seen. 
There are even records of them decorating their trees with the heads of the people they have decapitated, and one record even of a man making a necklace out of decapitated heads. Now, why do we need to know that? Because before we start getting on to Jonah, realize the situation. There's, go ahead and bring these images up if you would there, Allison. These, uh, a couple images of Assyrian pottery. And you can see the people being filleted, and you can see the people being uh, erected on posts. They would run them through, alive, and then erect them, still alive. Now, If God asked you to go preach to Nineveh, how eager would you be? So we can get upset at Jonah. We can blow a raspberry. Oh, he's disobedient. We need to understand the situation here. Jonah was told by God to go to a people known for their brutality, and he ran. We are told by God to tell others about God, about him, and we run from this when there is no threat. And so before we start getting ourselves all high and mighty, and well, if God had told me to go preach to Nineveh, I would have gone and preached to Nineveh. Easy, sea biscuit. Slow down there at the gate, because God has told us a lot in Scripture that we're not doing. Well, God has never spoken to me. What do you think this is? A coffee table book? It's God's very word. He has spoken. Listen. Look at just a couple other things about this as we get our understanding and our overview of what's going on in the book of Jonah here. The first reality of the situation that we really want to kind of grasp a hold of is found in verse number one. And I I want you to see this because we overlook these things so often and we ought not to. Look at verse number one. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Beloved, do you realize how blessed you are that the word of the Lord has come to you. We see things like this, we read things like this, and we just let it pass right on by us. The word of the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, the maker of all, the sustainer of all. He, he is above all. He is outside of time, outside of space. He sees everything, all-powerful one, all-knowing one. He is the only one that deserves any attention, and here he is speaking to us. He says the word of the Lord came. This is a wonderful thing that we so often ignore and we just just treat this book that is the word of God that is presented to us, that gives us everything that we can understand, everything that we need to know. It presents God to us in black and white, beautifully so. Yeah, the word of the Lord came. That's the way we treat it. No, my friend, the Word of God is presented to you, given to you freely. 
Are you listening to it? What are you doing with it? Are you paying attention? Now, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah here. Jonah, being a prophet, was given instruction by the Lord. Again, many blame their lack of living for God on the fact that, well, God never spoke to me. You have the word of God. You have no excuse. God has spoken. Peter said it this way, that God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Right here. We have no excuse. It's right there for us in black and white, sometimes red, if we would but listen. Mark Twain, he once encountered a ruthless businessman known for being ruthless. No one gets in my way, he would brag. This man from Boston was bragging one time, saying, before I die... I intend to go to the Holy Land. I'm going to climb up Mount Sinai and I'm going to read the Ten Commandments in the loudest voice I can muster. Which Mark Twain replied, I got a better idea. Stay home and just keep the Ten Commandments. See, many of us are thinking that we'll do great things. But we're not. We're not willing to do the simple things. Note next, verse number two says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, without boring you with the linguistics behind this. Uh, this there, there probably, in all honesty, should not be a comma between arise and go. Because you have two verbs, get up and go, which are used in a certain style, in a certain case, which these two cases form one general thought. It's not get up, now go. It's go. This is what he's saying. And so God wasn't trying to wake him up. Okay, get up. Now we need to get you moving this direction. I got a job for you. No, God is saying, get up and go right now. It's a command. And so what Jonah is told here is a command directly from God of what he's supposed to do, how he's supposed to do it, when he's supposed to do it. God's will for Jonah to go to Nineveh, he could have stopped Jonah at any moment, but he allows Jonah to flee. Notice what it says in verse number three, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So often we think that we can ruin God's plans by the mistakes that we make. But can I let you know something? That God is so much bigger than our mistakes, so much bigger than our mistakes. And here we have Jonah, and he decided he was going to go, and he was going to try to run from the presence of the Lord. Now, you think about that for just a moment, and it's just like, really, Jonah? Really? So he went, and the Bible says he wanted to go to Tarshish, so he got on a boat and went down to Joppa. Notice what it says. Down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it 
If you were to continue reading through the book, it lets us know that he was eventually thrown into the water. There's another down moment. And then he goes down into the belly and down to the bottom of the sea. Anytime we go against what God wants us to do, the only direction is down. And if you look at the way Jonah, he started off to, to, to Tarshish. He says, I'm going to Tarshish. And so he makes his way to Joppa. And lo and behold, a ship going to Tarshish. Man, it's my lucky day. And guess what? How much does it cost? I got just that much money. He pays the fare. And he's able to make it. Man, things are going really good. No, they're not. There's a lot of times when we start to become disobedient to the Lord and we start to go the direction we want to go and we don't obey him, we don't do what he wants us to do, we don't follow his will, we don't follow his leading, and we think everything's going all right. And then all of a sudden, bam, out of left field, something happens. My friend, you're not moving up by disobeying God. You're moving down, down, down. And then from where did he run? See, whenever we begin running, our only direction is down. But I want you to notice the next part of this. From where do we run? Can man escape the presence of God? Really? You see, I don't believe Jonah was trying to run from God's sight. I don't believe that that's the case. More likely, he was trying to run from God's will. Some people have tried to explain this, that he was running from the presence of God because Jerusalem was supposed to be where God's presence was. And so he thought that he was going to get out of Jerusalem, he was going to get out of Israel, he was going to get out of the Holy Land, and he wouldn't be in God's presence anymore. Um, but I think it goes a little, bit, a little bit further than that. You see, God said to go to Nineveh, and what I believe happened here is Jonah quit his job. He was a prophet. He was one of God's preachers. And God told him, I want you to preach to those people over there. And he said, I quit. I'm out. You know, there are some people who would rather give up and leave than obey there are many who would rather pack their bags and go than simply obey what God has asked them to do. Brothers and sisters, this is a really big deal. And yes, he was asked to go somewhere very difficult. And I'll be honest with you, there's a part of me that really can't fault him on that. I mean, would you want to go somewhere where Chances are good you might be filleted alive. So he disobeyed. But I want us to notice a couple things in application as a result of this. Because the truth of the matter that is seen throughout the book of Jonah, and especially in this first little bit of, the, of chapter 1, is God is God. I want you to notice this. We would do well to never forget who we are and who he is. And I think Jonah thought that perhaps by his leaving, well, God would call someone else. 
if I don't, if I'm not here, maybe God will get someone else to do it for me. Eh, God's got plenty of other prophets, plenty of other preachers, plenty of other teachers. And some, some of the uh, uh, Jewish historical account kind of lends itself to thinking that perhaps Jonah had family who were treated poorly, cruelly by the Assyrians. And that's one of the reasons he hated him so much. I don't know. It's all conjecture. But don't be so quick to jump to the negative of this because what we find in the book of Jonah, Jonah is told to go somewhere. He runs away from it. He flees, tries to get out of the presence of the Lord, and God allowed him to do that. God could have stopped him at any moment's notice. God is God. But he let him do that. But the Lord sent out a great wind in verse number 4. The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, that there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. They wouldn't have set sail if they knew that storm was coming. They would have batted down the hatches and stayed in the harbor. And so it was probably a good day, pretty day. And the Bible lets us know that God sent out the great wind. Beloved, can I let you know this? God is in charge of everything. And he has the right to command everything. God is all-powerful, can force us, but desires that we would serve him and help others willingly because we are made in his image. He is all-powerful and able to use even our disobedience. Understand what God is. He is in charge of not just people. He's in charge of the winds. He's in charge of the seas. He's in charge of the animals. The Bible lets us know that he prepared a great fish. I can kind of see it in my mind's eye, God going, Hey, Willie, you're going to swallow him. What? No. Yeah. It's going to give you indigestion, and three days later, he's coming back up, but it's going to work out. Okay, Lord, I really don't want to eat that, but all right. I got a little hyperactive mind. I understand that. But we need to see just how wonderful and how amazing our Lord is. As I was getting this sermon together, I was reminded of the story of a little girl who was home alone sick. And she called her mom and she says, Mommy, I need you home really bad. I'm getting, I'm getting worse. And so she got off work early. She ran uh, to the car. She got in the car and she started heading uh, home. And she thought, I'm going to stop by the uh, pharmacy and pick up some medicine before I get home. And so she stops in the pharmacy. She runs in real quick. And then she's going to run back out. And next thing you know, storm started. And she's like, well, it's not going to be too big of a deal. I'm still going to get back out. I'll get home in time. She gets the medicine. She gets out to the car. And lo and behold, what happened? She went to open the door, and the door was locked. She looked for her keys, and they were inside the car. And she's panicking, and she's thinking to herself, my little girl is home. She's sick. She's alone. She's scared. I need to hurry up, and I need to get there. So she runs back into the pharmacy. She says, can anyone help me? I've locked my keys in the car. And no one knew what to do. And so finally, one guy found a hanger. He says, here's a coat hanger. Good luck, honey. 
So she runs out to the car and she starts digging. She, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's trying to get the coat hanger in. She's trying to get things taken care of. She doesn't know what's going on. About that time, this truck pulled up behind her and she's praying, God, please just send someone to help me. This big old guy got out of the car, tattoos all over him. You know, I mean, he just had, he had that mean, big, burly biker dude look and he looked like he had just killed five people when he got out of the truck. And he comes walking up. She just turns around. She gives him a big hug. Thank you so much for showing up. Can you get me in my car? My daughter's home sick, and she needs this medicine. I've got to get home. She's home alone. She's scared. I've locked my keys in the car. And she, he, he just within a moment, just a blink of an eye, he got in the car really quick, opened the door, and she gives him another hug. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. She said, you are, a, uh, you are sent by God. Thank you. You're such a wonderful, nice man. He says, no, ma'am, I'm actually an escaped convict. And I just, this is my job. I, I steal cars for a living. And she goes, thank you, Lord, for sending a professional. Sometimes we think it's the wrong guy being sent. Why Jonah? He ran. He didn't obey. Why would you send, why would you send that rebellious man. I've got a theory on that. The people of Nineveh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria at that time. And they had opposing forces that were gaining power and they were kind of in a decline at this moment in history. They had suffered many things, many issues in Assyria And they would have viewed these as their God not being happy with them. And their God was a God by the name of Dagon. Dagon was a half man, half fish. I got a couple more images here for you. Go ahead and bring those up. Here's a couple of uh, depictions of what Dagon was thought to maybe look like. This is the kind of lowercase g God that they would have worshipped, a kind of half man, half God. Now, because of Jonah's disobedience, he finds himself on a ship heading to Tarshish, and a storm breaks out. And as we'll get into this more next week, you'll find that he ends up being thrown overboard, swallowed by a whale, spends three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, and then puked up on land. Now, if you've just spent three days and three nights in the stomach acids of a whale, you think you're going to smell very pretty when you come out? You think you're going to look very pretty when you come out? Probably pasty white, and probably his skin was probably real scaly, and he probably looked like, he looked like he had scales. He was probably peeling and everything, and he smelled like a gut wagon coming out there. You think you, you, think you stink when you eat tuna? You ought to try living in tuna. And this is a man that three days later, he gets vomited up on land, and the people of Nineveh see this man coming and preaching. Who do you think maybe they thought it was? This guy rode in on a fish. Smells like fish. Looks like fish. Maybe he's half fish. And he's telling us to not worship him, but to turn to the one true God. You don't think God's got a sense of humor? 
You don't think God knows what he's doing? I'm going to call that boy because he's going to rebel. He's going to end up in the water, and I'm going to get that fish to swallow him, and this is going to be great. You got to see the look on his face when it happens. God's able to use even your rebellion. Now, that doesn't mean go be rebellious and God will just fix it all. Nah, unless you want to wind up in the stomach of a whale sometime. No. But don't think for a moment that God can't use you. He can. So what do we do with this? Can I just ask you a question this morning? Are you trying to escape God? Are you trying to escape the drawing of the Holy Spirit? Has the Holy Spirit been trying to convict you and draw you into a relationship with Him and you just keep saying, no, no, I don't really want to give in. No, I really don't want to. No, I don't, I don't want to give this up. I don't want to give that up. I don't want to go here all the time. I don't want to do that all the time. Have you been, been resisting God? Take caution that you do not ignore the God who sent Jonah after Jonah to you those people who love you enough to tell you about Jesus Christ, those people who have invited you to church, those people who have encouraged you to come out and be uh, be a part of something bigger, to get to know God. Those are the Jonas in your life. Are you ignoring them? Second, understand that God can even use your failures. Believer, do you feel that God can't use you anymore because of a past failure? Do you believe that God can't use you now that you're in a present failure? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of this and I just, God can't use me because I can't get out of this. Hey, repent, turn back to him, get it situated and let him use you. Let him use you. He can turn the worst rebellion into an amazing testimony of God's mercy and grace. One of my favorite things about Jonah is Jonah really isn't the hero of the story. God is. His mercy, his grace. It's wonderful. And last, let me ask you this question. Do you want to be used by God? Do you want to be used by him in your way or in whatever way he sees fit? Do you want to be used by him? That's really the test of a follower of Christ. If you're following Christ, you'll go where he leads. If you're wanting Christ to go along with you, you'll make the decisions and the rules for yourself. And we saw what happened when Jonah started making the decisions. God said, go here. He went the opposite direction, as far away from Nineveh as he could get. Made a mess of himself, didn't he? So, started this whole thing off with a simple question that was up on the screen. Who is God? Who is God? Can I let you know who God is? He is the sovereign ruler of heaven and earth who commands all creation, controls even the very elements. Beloved, 
It's not global warming. It's God. It's God. He's letting it less and less. He's letting go. He controls even the elements and he desires that all would know him. And he patiently uses us for his glory. Patiently uses us. Are you letting him? Or are you fighting to do it your way? Well, God, you can use me as long as it's this way. Not that way. I don't want that way. This way is fine, but not that way. God, you can use me, but I don't want this kind of situation for you to use me. God can use you. But you're going to have to follow him and do it his way. And as the daddy told his son, it's hard to sing praises when there's disobedience in your heart. Let's get the obedience part right. And then let's start serving him. Gracious God and Savior, I find myself before you time and time again just trying to crawl back into your lap. Because, Lord, I, uh, I can be rather disobedient and rebellious at times. So, Lord, I'm asking that you would forgive that. And that, Father, as, as you have done many, many, many times in the past, you would bring glory unto yourself in spite of me in spite of those who are called your servants. Father, we can be very stiff-necked. We can be very strong-willed. So, Father, I'm asking that you would break that will and use whatever it takes in order to do so. Father, if there's any here today that do not know you as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that you would speak to their heart Woo them into a relationship with you. Call them. Save them. And change them. Father, if there's any here that call on you as their Lord, if they've been disobedient, there's something in their life that they're not willing to give up. God, send the fish. Do whatever's necessary to get your child to understand that it is not theirs to live, but it is yours because you bought their life with your blood. Father, help us. Help us to give all to you and to follow you and not our own ways. We pray these things in your son's name and for his sake. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, 
please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.